The Healing Power of Forgiveness. Lessons learned from the Letter Podcast. The healing power of forgiveness matters quite literally for the human heart. Amy Donaldson, host of The Letter, shares more about the mother who lost her son to a random act of violence and the love she now has for his murderer. Forgiveness may be more complicated than we think. This hour on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Sai and Ronsnar were already in bed when the doorbell of their Salt Lake City home rang late on the night of August 28, 1996. Sai immediately realized their 18-year-old son, Zachary, wasn't home. And when their daughter, Sydney, appeared in the doorway to tell them that police wanted to talk to them, she knew their visit was about Zach. We knew it wasn't going to be good. I said, what's happened to my son? Because I just, I knew... And they said, well, will you sit down? <laughs> Zach had taken his friend, Yvette Rodier, to Little Dell Reservoir in a canyon just east of Salt Lake City to take pictures of the rising full moon. And they said uh, something like, your son, Zachary, was involved in a shooting tonight. And I just thought, you've got the wrong kid. <laughs> Zach would never be involved in something like that. And I remember my dad's voice just cracked, and he said, well, is he okay? They said he had been shot, and he, he hadn't made it. Just a day after the shooting, police arrested the killer, and he confessed to the crime. 19-year-old Jorge Benvenuto was only a few months older than Zach and Vet. Investigators say the 19-year-old told them he decided to randomly shoot two teens while they were taking pictures. The attack killed Zachary Snar and critically wounded his best friend, Yvette Rodier, both 18 years old. The Snars could only piece together the shooter's motives from what they gathered in news reports. They were left with no satisfying answers as to why anyone would want to take their son's life. Three days after the murder, Zach's mother, Sai Snar, sat with her family in their living room and spoke to the press. If he had to die, I wished it would have been an accident because it would have been a lot easier to accept than this. I will never understand what happened to him. It was, it was brutal. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, host of The Letter, a KSL podcast. And in this special program, we're going to explore the topic of forgiveness through the remarkable story of the Snar family. In the months after Zach was murdered, grief saturated every moment for his mother, Sai. I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't. I just would curl up in the fetal position, honestly. It was just so painful, and just that pain, and then the anger, I anger at everything and everybody. I was angry at him, obviously. I was angry at God for allowing this to happen to my son. 
I, I would see other 18-year-olds out there, and I'd think, why are you here and my son not? And I know that's totally irrational, mm-hmm. but that's where I was at that time. I'd see people out running and laughing, and I think, how can they do that? Was I ever that way? And I thought, I'll never be happy again. I really, truly believed I will never be happy again. I can't smile. I can't laugh. It was, it was just so devastating. Friends and family describe Sai as a happy person who loved life and her four children. But after the shooting, she wasn't the same. Sai's daughter, Sydney Davis, says she didn't just lose her brother. She lost the fun-loving parents who raised her. My mom was, she was always such a fun, energetic, passionate person who just loved to grab life by the horns. And she just, she lost that sparkle for a long time. Um, She just was so into her grief that I think for a while she just had to withdraw from all of us, which, which I get. Um, And then my dad, he was, beforehand, he was just this fun, loving, big laughter. You know, he laughs with his whole body and just this fun magnet for people, right? And afterwards, he just was so sad. I never saw my dad cry until Zach. Sai didn't even recognize herself. When you have that much hatred and anger in you, you become that. You are angry and hateful. I didn't like it. I didn't like what I had become. And Sai's husband, Ron, was in the same sinking boat of resentment. The only one I was hurting or killing was myself. And I'm, and I'm so sick of it, you know. I says, I'm destroyed. I've destroyed myself and everybody around me. You know, nobody likes to be around me. <laughs> and I can see their point. Sai didn't know how to live and love with such sadness and rage. She sought help from a counselor. What I liked about it was that she let me yell and scream and say how I was feeling and didn't tell me, you can't feel that way. You know, so many people right from the get-go, you have to forgive him. And it made me so angry. Like, I don't have to forgive him. I will never forgive him. I don't want to ever forgive him. You know, and even my own sister, you have to forgive him. Were you even able to discuss forgiving him? No, no. I mean, I'm sure they had good reasons. People would say that. And I said, it's not going to happen. I don't want to, you know. I hate him. I said that so many times. I hate him. Never had I felt that amount of hatred towards another human being where I was literally obsessed with it and it overtook who I was. As much as Sai wanted to change, she did not know how she could possibly forgive such a thing. I remember looking up and my oldest son was standing there and he just looked so sad. When I looked at him, he, he just walked out of the room. That was the kick in my gut, I think, that I needed. When he saw me so upset and he looked so sad and just turned around and left the room, I realized I had let the death of one child become more important than the lives of three more that I loved every bit as much as Zach. And it it just brought me up short, like, what am I doing? What am I doing to my family? I just knew that I had to change, but I didn't think I could 
towards my feelings for Jorge Benvenuto. Coming up after the break, we're going to explore how and why a person might forgive someone, even if you think that person doesn't deserve it. Over the course of this program, we'll talk to some researchers who have dedicated their lives to uncovering and sharing the healing power of forgiveness. At the end, we'll circle back and see how the Snar family was impacted by forgiveness. Forgiveness may be more complicated than we think. This hour, the healing power of forgiveness. Lessons learned from the Letter Podcast with host Amy Donaldson. Download the Letter Podcast today. It's available wherever you find great podcasts and at kslpodcast.com. Professor Robert Enright has dedicated his life to studying, teaching, and promoting forgiveness. Hired by the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1978 to study moral virtues, Dr. Enright found success studying justice and fairness. But after about 10 years, he asked himself a question that would change his career path and our understanding of forgiveness. Who am I helping with my research? He decided his work wasn't doing much to help the world, and he began contemplating what he'd learned about justice. And I thought about the reverse of justice. What happens when you've been treated deeply unjustly? How do you get out of that? How do you climb out of the pit when others push you down? And the idea of forgiveness kept coming up. So I thought, yeah, forgiveness, it's a moral issue of being good to those who aren't good to you. We all use the term. You know, we all think we know what it is. It seems helpful. Uh, Maybe this would help people. Uh, Surely there's a lot of research on it. But there wasn't. In fact, he couldn't find a single study on the subject. So he started working to change that. Within a few years, there were hundreds of studies. And by the end of the 90s, there were thousands. As it turns out, it was a profoundly interesting and beneficial area of research. Among his first studies was one with colleague Dr. Suzanne Friedman, in which they worked with a population that was considered difficult to help, survivors of incest. You have to keep in mind that at that time, here was the counsel to therapists about studies with incest survivors. To be ethical, don't expect a lot of change in terms of their emotional well-being. This is too hard of an issue. It's too crushing. And if you feel a client with the hope of major change that's not ethical. They divided 12 incest survivors into two groups. One group agreed to go through forgiveness therapy, while the other participated in traditional therapy. All 12 people were given a battery of tests, and all of them tested clinically depressed. After the year of therapy, the six who participated in forgiveness therapy not only decided they would forgive their abusers, they all tested as non-depressed. The other six, who did traditional therapy, continued to test as clinically depressed. To make it more interesting, they offered the six who'd participated in traditional therapy the chance to go through forgiveness therapy. All of them accepted, and a year later, not only did they choose to forgive, they all tested as non-depressed. And maybe the most stunning fact, Dr. Enright says, is that they retested those original six from the forgiveness group 
And even after a year of no more therapy, they remained non-depressed and in good mental health. As they continued to study forgiveness, they found over and over again that incorporating and teaching forgiveness doesn't just benefit people emotionally, it also improved their physical health. In one of these studies, they counseled men who were being treated on a cardiac unit. And when they told their story prior to forgiveness therapy, when they were angry telling the story, the arteries to the heart would narrow and they would get less blood flow through the heart, which is well known. Deep anger when you have heart compromise can shrink the arteries to the heart where you get less blood flow. They forgave. And when they told their story of deep hurt, four months after the intervention, the arteries stayed more open, statistically significantly relative to those who had regular heart health in the hospital. And Douglas Russell, who was the overseeing physician, said, we have helped them avoid chest pains and sudden death. Hmm. So and that's a cause and effect study between learning to forgive and the improvement of a major organ of the body, in this case, the heart. What the studies actually show is that resentment doesn't just make us feel bad. It's toxic. Dr. Enright worked with colleague Mary Hansen on a study of females in hospice in their 80s, all dying of cancer and estimated to have about six months to live. And we chose people who had difficulties from family members, some of whom were carrying this for 40, 40, 40 years in their heart. Okay? And so it didn't go away. And that's the problem with deep injustices against us. Once that resentment gets in the heart, we're at risk for bringing it to our grave. And forgiveness is what I, this is 37 years, Amy, talking here. This is it's the strongest medicine I have ever seen of getting rid of resentment that can kill us. Dr. Enright says the healing power of forgiveness matters quite literally for the human heart. After this break, we're going to define forgiveness and talk about how we forgive, even if we want nothing more to do with the person who hurt us. healing power of forgiveness lessons learned from the letter podcast forgiveness is not earned it is given it is a gift that the receiver doesn't deserve amy donaldson host of the letter shares more about the mother who lost her son to a random act of violence and the love she now has for his murderer forgiveness may be more complicated than we think this hour on ksl news radio 102.7 fm and 1160 a.m So what exactly is forgiveness? Dr. Enright says before you even think about trying to incorporate it into your life, it's important to define what it is and what it is not. It is not excusing what the other did. What happened to you as a forgiver was unfair, is unfair, and it will always be unfair. You don't excuse, but you're 
showing goodness in the face of knowing it was unjust. You don't just forget. You don't calm down. You may or may not reconcile. And that, he says, is probably the biggest controversy. You can forgive from the heart, getting rid of resentment and being ready to offer goodness even from a distance, like a kind word about the person without interacting, without reconciling. Reconciliation is not a moral virtue. It's a negotiation strategy between two or more people coming together again in mutual trust. You can't forgive without reconciling. And another big controversy is people think in either or ways. You either forgive or you seek justice. But Aristotle tells me to bring the moral virtues up together so you forgive and seek justice. So, for example, a survivor of incest from one of Enright's studies could forgive someone, but could also seek to have that person held accountable by the criminal justice system. Enright says philosophers, like Aristotle, offer the best definitions of forgiveness. He sees moral virtues as the expression of goodness in very specific ways. Justice is the expression of goodness in an equal exchange. Forgiveness is the expression of goodness heroically toward those who are not good to you. And that's the case across historical time and across cultures. How you forgive might be very different if you're in Sierra Leone, Africa, than if you're in Madison, Wisconsin, but you're still being good to those who are not good to you, trying to get rid of resentment in the heart and offering goodness of some kind to the other because forgiveness is a moral virtue, as is justice and kindness and patience and love. And the goodness is offering of something to the other. That goodness can be as simple as a smile or wishing good things for the person who wronged you. But there has to be some action taken to send goodness toward that person. Dr. Everett Worthington, a licensed clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University, began studying forgiveness a few years after Dr. Enright, and it was working with couples struggling with resentment that caused him to dig deeper into the practice of forgiveness. Over time, he also began studying, writing, and teaching about the benefits of forgiveness. He developed practical steps that teach people how to forgive. He calls it REACH which is an acronym for the steps one can take to find forgiveness. Let's break down REACH. R is for recall the hurt. A person must revisit a hurtful situation, but with the intention of reshaping the feelings about that experience. A person makes a decision to forgive and decides they aren't going to pursue payback. E is for empathize with the person who hurt you. Pretend to have a conversation with that person and pour your heart out. Try and understand what they might be feeling or experiencing that led them to this situation. Imagine ways to help that person, which builds sympathy, compassion, and even love. A is for altruistic gift. Forgiveness is not earned. It is given. It is a gift that the receiver doesn't deserve. C stands for commit. Once you've decided to forgive, write yourself a note. Do something that cements the feelings and the decision to forgive. H is for holding on to forgiveness. 
Writing about our feelings and experiences is one way to ensure that the emotions stay with us and that our commitment doesn't waver. We can reread these thoughts if we feel doubt or fear about our decision. Dr. Worthington says there are two types of forgiveness, decisional and emotional. So decisional forgiveness is to make a behavioral intention statement that forswears or gives up uh, the right to revenge and kind of says that I would treat this person as a valued and valuable person if given the opportunity. Emotional forgiveness is the emotional replacement of negative, you know, unforgiving emotions like bitterness, resentment, hostility, hatred, anger, fear, replacing that with positive other-oriented emotions like empathy, sympathy, compassion, or even love. Dr. Worthington says for some people, unfairness is a roadblock to forgiveness. So when he starts talking with someone about forgiveness, he starts with the injustice gap. So the injustice gap is the amount of injustice that a person associates with this offense. You know, technically, it's the difference between the way I would like to see this event resolved and the way that I see it right now. So a small injustice gap, very easy to deal with. A big injustice gap, hard to deal with. The behavior of those involved can change how we perceive this injustice gap. If a person takes responsibility for what they did, we go, oh, that was hard that reduces the amount of injustice, I feel. The person apologizes. Oh, that was hard. That reduces the amount of injustice. If the person writes a letter and says, you know, I'm sorry, well, that's going to reduce the amount of injustice, making it easier to deal with. But if a person refuses to take responsibility, blames you or whatever, doesn't apologize, doesn't seek to make amends, shows no remorse or regret whatsoever. All of those increase the amount of injustice that people feel. Now, what most people think is, well, forgiveness is how we're going to, you know, get past that gap, that injustice gap. Well, it turns out there are many good ways to get past that gap. If we see a person suffer consequences for their actions, that might also reduce the injustice gap. You see, there are many, many ways that are not forgiveness. So, you know, that's why my life mission is to do all I can to promote forgiveness in every willing heart, home, and homeland, because there are many ways that a person can get past these big struggles in life without forgiving. They don't need to forgive. Dr. Worthington says... It's not the best option for everyone, but it does have advantages, emotionally and physically. If you look at all of those other ways, they all get rid of the negative, but there's no option for moving past zero. So, okay, I'm going to accept and move on. It's not going to bother me. I'm going to forbear. I'm going to tolerate this. I'm going to appeal to God to zap them. I'm going to see justice happen. All of those things are about getting rid of injustice, there's no positive in there. But 
you know, with forgiveness, I can get past the neutrality point. I can keep being compassionate and loving and, you know, sympathetic and empathetic or empathic rather. And I can build in a net positivity into that relationship. So I think that actually gives an advantage over a lot of the others. The reality is most of us wait for an apology before we start contemplating forgiveness. But Dr. Enright says that can be to our own detriment. You allow the other to have a power over you for the rest of your life because your inner unrest, your resentment is not going to be released until you forgive. And now the person who hurt you is winning twice, first with the original injustice and now having the power over you so that you have to keep that resentment within yourself and good luck trying other therapies. So my statement to people is, don't let others win twice. Dr. Enright says forgiveness is not for everyone. There are ways to heal and come to terms with injustice. But for those who do decide to forgive, he says timelines are different for each of us. And part of finding forgiveness is finding our own individual path. You are free to unconditionally forgive when you're ready. Don't let anyone pressure you into doing it. This is your choice when Mm -hmm. you are ready. And you definitely should not let people hover over you when you're not ready. Because people need a period of anger. They need a period of befuddlement. They need a period of confusion before they settle down and say, I think I want to apply this moral virtue in my life which is reaching out to the other, remember. But eventually the paradox is, as I am trying to be good to the other, even from a distance, like a kind word about the person to a family member, you are the one who is emotionally healed. The forgiver is healed by reaching out to the other. Coming up after the break, Sai Snar finds her own way to heal, years after the murder of her son. Forgiveness may be more complicated than we think. This hour, the healing power of forgiveness. Lessons learned from the Letter Podcast with host Amy Donaldson. Download the Letter Podcast today. It's available wherever you find great podcasts and at kslpodcast.com. Sai Snar was tired of being angry. Her rage turned her into a person she didn't recognize, and she lived with this resentment for many years. She knew she wanted to change, but she didn't know how. Then Sai got a call from a woman at her church who wanted to give a talk about forgiveness. The story the woman wanted to tell was about a victim of murder. And the woman was worried that if she spoke at church, it might upset Sai. And I said... Actually, I'd kind of like to hear it. You know, I'd I'd be interested to hear it. She just gave this most amazing talk about that. And it just hit me. I thought, I want to be like that. I want to feel that. I want to be able to forgive him. You know? And uh, it was a process. I've likened it to backpacks full of rocks (laughs) that you have to let go a little at a time. You may have heard of this backpack full of rocks. 
It's a common analogy used in the mental health field that helps people visualize how anger, stress, and shame can create an emotional weight that we might not even be aware we're carrying with us. The idea is to take out a rock, acknowledge what you've been carrying, and then put it down. The goal eventually is to empty the backpack. It doesn't happen overnight. It did not happen overnight for me. Sai says it took about 15 years until she was finally able to let go. It was a slow and deliberate process. And every time I found myself thinking about it, which was often, because I thought about every day for years, you do. You, you know, it's something hard to not think about. That I would just make, I'd force my mind to go somewhere else. And after a while, I realized, you know, I'm not thinking about Zach's death. I thought about his life. I still do every day. And, and celebrate it, you know, just how grateful I was to have him for 18 years and how awesome he was, you know, but I just couldn't dwell on his death. Eventually, in his own time, Sai's husband Ron also found his way to forgiveness. The pain of it all is killing me, you know, it's destroyed me. And so... Jesus was right, love one another. He taught us, the, the whole gospel's about love. And it's just not love the people you love, it's love everybody, even those who wrong me. Because Jesus can forgive them, we all can. Once Cy and Ron decided to let go of their anger, they found it open possibilities that have been closed to them for years, including a life-changing miracle something no one expected. The weight of the world lifted off my shoulder and I can, I can be nice and I can smile and I can laugh. Everybody's got their own problems, you know, and I've got to live with mine and I'm going to do better with it. I'm going to change me first and then try to help everybody change themselves too. You know, if I can do it, they can do it. You know, I've gone through a lot. <laughs> I, carried, I carried the hatred for so long. I had total forgiveness for him, and it changed my life for so much better, so much better. Just to let go of that burden, this weight that's on you all the time, it was like this huge weight lifted for me. Now, standing at Zach's grave, Sai says she loves the man who killed her son. I love George. I love his whole family. And I would not know him if Zach wasn't dead. And that's a hard thing to wrap my head around. If anybody would have told me even 15 years ago or even maybe 10 years ago that we'd be where we are now, I would have told them they were crazy. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. And yet it's been the greatest gift ever that this has happened. To find out what happens in this story after Sai decides to forgive, you can listen to the podcast. Episodes of the letter are still being released weekly. But I'll just tell you this. The forgiveness came before what Sai calls the greatest gift. And that was the letter.
I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. <laughs> 